LTV doesn't matter if you go out of business. You're thinking about future harvests when you could starve this winter. Well, hello, and welcome to another edition of the e-commerce evolution podcast. I'm your host, Brett Curry, CEO of OMG Commerce. And today I have the man, the myth, the legend, Sean Frank. He's the CEO of Ridge. And, and listen, if you are in the D2C space, if you pay attention, if you care at all about this industry, then you're probably on Twitter. And if you're on D2C Twitter, then you know who Sean Frank is because this guy just owns it on the D2C uh, Twitter sphere. And so he's one of my favorite follows of all time. Got to know this dude several years ago talking influencer marketing and Ridge was very successful then. And now it's like just upper stratosphere, which is awesome. And one thing I didn't realize until recently, he's also the co-host of the Operators podcast. And I hear, like this is just, just, just news on the street. Like he He's the most handsome member of that four-person podcast, the Operators Podcast. So with that, Sean Frank, welcome to the show. How's it going, man? It's going good, man. I, I'm sorry I had to bribe you to say that, but it's very <laughs> funny. Um, and, and truth be told, like so, so like you got you get the best beard of the bunch for sure. Uh, but but in all honesty, like that's a not a bad looking group of dudes, right? So 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 break down for folks that haven't heard of the Operators Podcast. Like who who are your other co-hosts? Yeah, nobody worth mentioning. No, nah, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's Sean Frank and some kind of wannabes, you know, that are like yeah, trying to be like Sean Frank, riding on his coattails. Type. No, yeah. So you have Jason from Hexclad, and if you don't know Hexclad, they are. Uh, probably the most premier cooking company out there right now. So I good. mean, so good. Ridge is doing good. Hexcloud is doing three or four times as good as Ridge. Those guys are just fucking crushing it. I mean, they have eight figure days. Like they're just on top of the it's world. So, so there's Hexcloud, there's uh, Matt. He has two companies. So he has uh, Pila Case, which is like uh, tech accessories. And he has Lomi, yep. which is like, uh, I don't know how you describe it, but I call it like a new age composter. Like it is it is a dirt making machine. Basically you buy and put it in your house. So he's like on like the, the green tech front. And then you have Mike from Simple Modern who is by unit sold the most popular water bottle on earth. So he's crushing it. So it's just all of us chopping it up. And, and yeah, and I love each of those brands and, and you know, Simple Modern so cool. I'm actually, they're going to be on the podcast, spoiler alert here in a few weeks, but really a brand that that launched on Amazon, but it's a real brand. It's not just a product that people are hawking on Amazon. It's like a real brand and they're doing it. And yeah, Hexclad, what a what a story. And then, uh, yeah, Bertulli, I got to meet him when uh, Pila was kind of uh, young in, in its infancy and it's doing so well. And then, of course, our, our mutual friend, I hate to give him any airtime, but uh, Ryan McKenzie uh, told me about the, the uh, appliance a business that the Bertulli has and sounds like that's that's doing some good work and it's really taken off. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's a good mix because, you know, um, you have a retail-focused brand like Simple Modern. Like Simple Modern is, is very big in Target, uh, Walmart, whatever else. You have a subscription business, which is which is Matt and, and Lomi, right? So it's hard tech with subscription tied to it. You have a rocket ship in... Hexclad, and then you have Ridge, which is the greatest e-commerce brand of all time. So, uh, <laughs> good, good combo, guys. Dude, I love it. I love it. It's hard to argue with that for for sure. And so, yeah, check it out. And really, before we dive in, there's so many things I want to pick your brain on uh, related to e-com and and the growth that Ridge has experienced. But but why'd you guys decide to do this podcast? And by the way, it's crushing. Like, you're, I'm I'm watching your viewership on on YouTube and other places. Like, people are are loving the pod. But what? But why do it? Well, I used to do a newsletter and. 
the newsletter would just be like me on Sundays, just typing whatever thoughts. And it took about an hour. And I'm like, oh, well, the podcast would take an hour. So I just stopped doing the newsletter, started doing the podcast. And it is it is more three-dimensional because it's not just me sitting alone with whatever I want to talk about. I get feedback and I get to learn from people who are smarter than me. And being a CEO is like, I mean, it's obviously a prestigious job. So lots of people want it. It's incredibly lonely. Like It is for sure. You have, you have problems that nobody cares or wants to hear about. <laughs> and Right, right. Can't tell your family, probably can't tell a lot of your closer friends. Like they, they, they wouldn't understand and, and they don't care. I mean, they care, but not really. Yeah. I'm from like a blue collar background. Like Same. My, my best friends from high school work in one works in a warehouse one does like uh if there's disasters like he cleans up like if like there's like a suicide like he'll clean up the houses or whatever just like the gnarliest job ever and then one of them does like installs garage doors so like they have like real problems like wife kids like working hard and i have to be like well my roas is down this week and i'm pretty (laughs) upset about it what's wrong with you yeah yeah they're like shut the fuck up get some real problems so it's just good to have other people who like i can bounce off issues because like even if things I mean, this is what everyone talks about how great their brand's doing all the time. Anybody ever raising money tells you how like they're changing the world and everything's going great. Dude, the reality in every brand is I got two things that are going good and I got 50 things that are breaking at any point. So it's 100%. good to have people to synthesize with. Skeletons in everybody's closets. There are issues in every business. And if you say they're not, then they're probably bigger issues than, than in other businesses. So uh, yeah, man, really, really great insight there. I have a big exclusive invite for the listeners of the e-commerce evolution podcast. OMG Commerce and our friends at Raindrop are hosting an event at the Google YouTube offices in Los Angeles at the end of March. It's called Future Proof Your Traffic. Create consistent demand for your brand in a privacy first world. You'll learn from me and my team. You'll hear directly from Google and you'll learn from Jacques Spitzer of Raindrop, the creative agency behind the runaway success of brands like Dr. Squatch, Shady Rays, Manscaped, and more. This event is free, but it's for brands only, and you do need to apply and be accepted to attend. Visit omgcommerce.com forward slash YouTube event. That's omgcommerce.com forward slash YouTube event. So uh, for those that, that don't know Ridge, you know, give us a 60 second version of what is Ridge and, and what's your, what's your background? Cause you got kind of a unique, this unique trajectory to get in, you know, becoming the CEO of Ridge. Yeah. So we are a modern men's accessories brand. Uh, we're trying just to be a modern accessories brand, drop the men's part of it, but, uh, we mostly sell wallets. We have a travel line that's doing really well. We have a men's like wedding band and engagement line that's doing really well. And think about the products that a Toomey would make or a coach would make. And we're making the updated modern premium version of those. So the men's accessories business is, is probably like a $25 billion a year TAM. The wallet business is a $10 billion a year TAM. We have over 1% of the global wallet market and we're growing really fast. Uh, so our, our biggest competitors are whatever your parents got you when you were 18, whatever wallet <laughs> from Walmart or LVMH. Yeah. Uh, we're just trying to like be that, that the, the new age accessories brand. How did I get here? I had an ad agency, one of my clients, uh, the only client that was actually crushing it was a company called Ridge. Father, son, best friend started it. They didn't want to run it anymore. They just wanted to do product. They didn't want to do marketing or customer service or ops or logistics or whatever. So we merged. Me and my CMO, Connor, took 
uh, a big chunk of the business and we've been running it ever since. And that was, we started working together in 2016 and it's 2024. So a big, Dude. a big part of company history has been us working together. It's so awesome. And, and Connor's the man love talking marketing uh, with that dude as well. And so, so yeah, the, the wallet is primo. you like, you guys, uh, I don't know if you invented the category, but you certainly dominate the category. Yeah. If you, if you don't have like the, the George Costanza fat wallet, right. The, you know, reference from the nineties or a money clip or something else, like you need it. You need a rich, right? So the RFID wallet, basically indestructible. Um, did, did you guys invent the category? Or you're just the ones that that uh, dominated it. So we have a lot of patents and technology around our particular wallet, and I would say we definitely invented our style of wallet. Right. But wallets have been trending minimalist for you know ten years or whatever, right? Like bill folds, that the old classic dad wallet has been losing market share. So like card holders, we've we've made an updated card holder that can fit as many cards as you need, as much cash as you need. So it's the expandability of uh, maybe like the storage capacity of a billfold, but in in the profile of a of a card holder. And I'll tell you, we invented it, but people have been buying wallets for a long time. It's it's, it's a big yeah. stale category. Yeah, yeah. Hats off to you guys for for. So much success there. I want to get into travel and rings in a little bit. We'll kind of we'll, we'll circle back to that here as we go. But I want, I want to get your take. You know, as we're we're still in the early stages of of 2024, what are your expectations for this year, and what do you think it's going to take to win for a D2C brand in 2024? Okay, so first, my expectations. I think it's going to be the best year for ecom since 2019. Nice. So. Everyone had at least one good year in 2020, 2021, or 2022. Depending on your category, depending on your supply chain, you had at least one really good year. But then you had one okay year and one really bad year. So it just depends on your business and your profile. And if you zoom out and look at that, like the, the collection of three or four years as like a cohort, it's a pretty blended flat line, right? Uh but like when you zoom in, you see these spikes, you see these troughs. So this is like going to be the first year of like 2019 levels of normal, like normalcy. And the number I always point to is e-commerce penetration. So e-commerce penetration since 2010 has been a straight steady line up until 2020 when it spikes, right? right. But then there's a, a pullback because people are traveling and shopping in person or whatever. And at the end of 2022, we were in a worse place than if the trend just continued, right? So mm-hmm. if the trend just continued the whole time and COVID never happened, we would have more higher e-commerce penetration. So there's some charts we could post them uh, either in show notes or maybe right here on screen. I don't know how much editing we're going to do, but... Uh, <laughs> show notes for sure. Let's see what Nick yeah. is up for. If I'm gonna throw some graphics in there. Nice. Uh, but and, and part of that too is like what really made that difficult. And I love the way you frame that, right? And in in that three-year period, you probably had a great year, you probably had a meh year, and then you probably had a bad year. And we and we saw that with our clients or companies we invest in or people we talk to. Uh, but the issue with 2022, especially in, in 2021 potentially, is we all thought we were going to ride that rocket ship forever and we were staffing up and we were buying inventory, we were doing all kinds of stuff. And then things pulled back, maybe even below trend line. And so that compounded issues for sure. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we talk about like the global economy or specifically the US economy did not have a recession, but there was an e-commerce recession for sure, right? Like e-commerce growth wasn't existent in some of those quarters, depending on the category. So this is the first year where I think we're back to where the trend would be if COVID never happened. So we have solid, steady e-commerce penetration growth, like that trend isn't going anywhere. And the world is kind of normalized. VC dollars have out. So there's people aren't just dumping money into Facebook ads. Um, there's more
more ad space. And I think by the end of the year, Timu stops being a thing in America or it stops being like a big spender. So Interesting. They, you think because of regulation or why, why, why is Timu uh, exiting? Well, this has to do with like the Chinese stock market, but I, I think Timu is, so, so Timu is owned by a, by a very large um like worth hundreds of billions of dollars, big Chinese conglomerate. And I think the entire thing is actually a fraud. And, and Interesting. It, it wouldn't be the first time that there's been a massive fraud on the... Ch- I mean, go go to their website and go to their investor relations. I think I think their company's PDD. Check out their investor relations. It looks like an Enron-style scam. So that's that's my... <laughs> that's but, my just, but, but uh, consumers want their $9 trendy hoodies, you know, or, or other, other gear that we might want for a midlife crisis or or something, uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's it's taken off for sure. Timu's taken off, but but uh, watch out because it may be on the decline. Oh man, I don't know how much time we have to talk about this, but without <laughs> going full tinfoil hat, uh, so every day Amazon does. I think like it's like four billion dollars in GMV across Amazon's whole ecosystem, and Timu's. Timu's goal this year is like $15 billion in GMV, right? So it's like, you know, a, a week's worth of Amazon sales Got is it. what Timu's shooting for all year. And TikTok shops like $10 billion. So like they're literally just drops in the bucket of what Amazon is doing on a, on a day-by-day basis. And then the other thing is they're paying for all this customer acquisition in a time when like you can't do that, right? Like the arbitrage is gone. Amazon gives you all this value. It gives you not only movies and TV shows, not only music and audiobooks. it gives you all of these things. And they acquired those customers back in 2008, 2010, 2012. So Timu has none of the premium features. It is literally just like buy shit for cheap, the lowest common yes, denominator. That's exactly what it is. And they're dumping money into it. And all of that is propped up by this large conglomerate who's down to lose money, right? But the Chinese stock market in the past two weeks have like they've restricted short selling. Because they know that there's like a big correction coming. So uh, interesting. Yeah. Well, tune in. You heard it here first, folks. Sean Frank calls that this is not going to be a good year for Timu. We'll we'll stay tuned. Yeah, but anyway, what was the question? Oh, yeah, so the, you, yeah. So like, what what else are you expecting? So so in 2024, we're going to get back to normal style, normal pace growth for e-commerce. What what else are you expecting for this year? And, um, and or like, what is it going to take to win? Yeah. Okay. I think it's going to be a very it's going to be the first normalized year for a long time. Um, we're going to see M and A come back. So we've already started to see. I've started got a lot more emails from PE groups who basically shut down in 2023. Yeah, we're we're seeing we're seeing that tick up as well in the in the agency space. Yeah, I think most of the bankruptcies have worked their way through their system. Obviously, Thrasio being the big one, but I mean, two days ago there was another Amazon aggregator that just went bankrupt. So I think those those will be out of the system by the end of Q1, and we'll be back to like an M and A and like potentially like an IPO and merger mark. So I think we're going to see that come back up. That always breathes life and excitement into the industry that's kind of been dead for a little bit. Brett just asked me, hey, what you know events are you going to? What talks are you going to? And dude, there hasn't been any good ones most of 2023. So true. It's so true. People people have just you know been in hibernation mode, right? Mm-hmm. Nobody feels good. No one wants to brag. No one wants to talk. I think a lot of that kind of just starts to reverse towards the second half of 2024. Um, and what does it take to win? This kind of ties into the marketing conversation. So if we're ready to have that conversation. Let's do it. I talk about MER a lot. I think MER is like the gold standard you should be measuring your business on, right? And that is like for how how much dollars are going into sales and marketing and how much revenue is generated. And there's a ratio there. So you want like a 3X MER. For every dollar in sales and marketing, I get $3 in 
in total revenue. So not not to say, just just to clarify, and, I th- and all our marketing uh, junkies out there are totally tracking, but this isn't this isn't in platform ROAS per se, or what you're seeing in, in Google or Facebook or or anything else. This is total money money in and total money out. So I'm investing every dollar I invest in ads, my total revenue, total enterprise revenue uh, should be three dollars, right? As an example. Yeah. And I think that's best in class. So if a lot of small e-commerce brands are listening to this, they're like, no, well, I need I need an 8X MER. I want to spend $1 on Facebook and get a total revenue of $8. They are living in 2015. Well, I don't know how they got a time machine, but that's where they're living. Uh, <laughs> not happening. Yeah, and that time's not coming back, right? It's not coming back yeah, ever. There's there's no, there's nothing in the indication that that time will come back. So the cost of marketing will go up forever because Facebook's a publicly traded company who needs to show revenue growth. Google's a publicly traded company who needs to show revenue growth. They're not adding any more users. They're, Facebook is adding more ad space, which is very interesting that they're able to do that. But outside of outside of ad load increasing, which is the percentage of posts that are ads on a platform, where where would they generate more impressions to lower CPMs? So the cost of advertising will go up forever. Now. Going back to MER, another way to say MER is AOV over CAC, right? Mm-hmm. Now, I'm leaving out uh, the the LTV part of this equation, right? Because there's no CAC associated with you know returning customer revenue. But what I'm really saying is CACs will increase over time. So one way to increase mm-hmm. MER is to increase AOV. Yeah. So a big focus, and this is just something people should think about. Clicks are going to cost what they're going to cost. So if your CPCs used to be 50 cents. Now they're a dollar. They're always going to be a dollar or above. There's nothing yep. to, yep. and like, there's nothing you can really do. a new do. floor. You're not going to change it. There's nothing you can really do to lower the cost per click. Cause we've all seen in Facebook, you have an amazing click through rate. Well, for some reason that ad has a higher CPM, right? And you have a horrible click through rate. Well, that, that ad gets a lower CPM. And it's because Facebook wants to make a certain amount of revenue for everyone leaving their platform, right? That's what I, that's what I think. Another tin, tinfoil hat theory you're going to be hit. But uh, all of that to say is if your business needs to operate on like a, you have a $50 AOV, well, what happens if clicks go to three dollars? You're like uh, people are going to convert the exact same that they're always right. going to convert at. You, your business that was soluble and making money is now insoluble and losing. So the only way to combat that, as on a business level, is to get higher AOVs. So you have to increase prices or launch new products with higher AOVs that to, to that can thrive in this new ecosystem. Going back to I'm going to tie everything together. Okay. Love it, man. Love it. I'm, I'm totally tracking. This is, this is awesome. Yeah. So what to expect in 2024, how to win in 2024. I think it's going to be the best year for e-commerce. So we avoided a recession. Uh, e-commerce penetration is back. So you have tailwinds going out of your business, but inflation did happen. So the cost to operate is going to be higher and the cost per clicks is going to be higher. So why did Ridge launch rings and why did Ridge launch travel? It's because both of those categories have higher AOVs. So Rings have high margins. So the perfect business, you could sell something for $1,000 that costs $1 to make so you could put as much dollars into marketing as possible. That is gambling apps. And that is who you're competing against. Like you're competing with Sports King and Draft Bookie and ESPN just bought paint. Like all these different, like, you know, because they're driving up the CPMs, right? They're driving up the CPMs on these app platforms. Yeah. Insurance companies, gambling companies, and VPNs can spend as much money as possible to acquire customers because they're selling vaporware. You're selling a widget, so you don't have that headwind. So you have to look for higher higher AOVs with higher margins so you can just put more money into ad dollars to get the same level of performance. That pressure is coming regardless if you do this or not. And if you do nothing, you eventually go out of business. So you have to be looking at higher AOV categories and 
higher margin category. So that's rings for us. That's travel for us. So we have a travel line. We're going to sell $600 travel kits. The wallets cost 150 bucks. So I immediately can Forex and AOV on this new product line. And assuming the same margin profile, I can have a CAC that is Forex higher. So that is what we're doing to survive and win in this environment. So, that's amazing, man. And, and that's that's exactly the right way to think about it, right? We, of course, we're looking to optimize all of our ad channels, better copy, better structure. Let's get increased click-through rates and inc- increased view rates because there are some rewards there. But costs aren't coming down, right? You can, you can make little improvements, little adjustments, and they do make a difference. But over time, costs are going to keep going up. And so really the only way you win is if you can sell customers more stuff, right? And ideally, and when you're looking at customer acquisition costs, what can you sell them immediately? And LTV is, is a thing. I know it's a little bit different for, you know, the, when, when you guys were primarily just wallets, LTV is pretty different there, right? But now now it's a, a definitely has, has expanded. But yeah, how can you sell them more on that first purchase? Because that totally changes the game. And, and I love the, this, I believe is old Dan Kennedy wisdom, but like he said, the company that can afford to spend the most to acquire a customer, they win, right? Because all things being equal, like ad costs are just are just going to go up. There's an upper limit, like you said, to conversion rate. You can only get so many people per hundred to convert. You're going to hit a ceiling. And so what are you doing to be able to afford higher CACs? And one of those is, yeah, more expensive items, but then better margins. Uh, love that. Um, and so so with as you guys launched Rings and Travel, that's primarily for new customer acquisition and kind of changing the math there? Or was that also a play to say, hey, we've got all of these wallet customers. What else do they want to buy? Let's sell them these things too. Yeah. The first point on LTV, LTV doesn't matter if you go out of business. So yeah. if you're plotting <laughs> yeah, so out true. Yeah. a 12- You can die market. waiting for that LTV to kick in, right? Yeah. It is. It is. You're thinking about future harvests when you could starve this winter. So like, let's just, let's just make sure this harvest goes great. Let's make sure your, your first customer acquisition is profitable and paying for everything. And if they happen to come back in the future, fantastic. I would love to have them back. And so what happens when we launch rings? Well, we launch rings, we email it to 5 million customers on our database and we sell some rings, right? Without a doubt, we're going to sell rings. Same thing with, with luggage. We sold out of luggage in like 45 days. We sell it into this big customer base. Awesome. That is not repeatable. You launch a new thing into your customer base one time, and then I'm going to acquire customers. I'll have upsells. I'll have I'll have post sales. I'll have all that stuff. No, you're looking for new product lines to acquire new new types of business. So what what we've seen is that there's some amount of people who need to buy luggage today. Okay, so we now have luggage, and we can acquire a new customer who has a new need and a new pain point we've never been able to serve. Because the amount of people who need a wallet today is zero. But if somebody's traveling in two weeks, they don't have luggage, they need it, right? So it's a brand new customer. It's a new entry point into the brand. And that person is very likely to buy a wallet from us in the future. So that is the real unlock is that we have these new flagship product lines that bring people in. And then at some point, we'll sell them a wallet or we'll sell them a ring or we'll sell them sure, luggage sure. or whatever else. But that, but that's a secondary aim. That's a secondary benefit. The real benefit is this is a product that is going to allow me. Uh, it's going to change the economics for me to go out and get more new customers. Love that. Love that a lot. Um. So I want to want to talk in a minute about profitability and like how you do all of this because I know you're master at like how do we maintain EBITDA and, how, and while we're still innovating, launching products. So I want to get to that in a minute. But since we're talking marketing, like what what channels are you most excited about for this year and beyond? So as you guys are growing and speak specifically to Ridge, then also talk, you know, to the, the the general D2C brand as well. Yeah. So if I was a 
sub $10 million brand, I'd be very excited about TikTok shops, YouTube shopping, meta shops. That's like the the current white space, all three of those things. Um, we YouTube shopping isn't fully live yet. I think it's right. still a beta program you have to get accepted into, but like it has more potential than TikTok shops does, right? It's There's, coming. Yeah, it's coming. Yeah. It's, it's, it's big. And then meta shops, uh, 10% of our sales in Q4 came through meta shops. So nice. it is, I mean, they're, they're putting billions of dollars of volume through that. They're learning purchase conversion behavior and tying it to people. And I think that could be a massive, massive driver of business. So if you're sub 10 million, those are the three areas I'd be focused on and like really unlocking those. Amazon's harder than it's ever been. People talk about wholesale. Don't go into wholesale until you're ready. But if you're a bigger brand, if you're doing above $10 million a year, the fastest growing lines of our business and, and our strategy this year is summed up into three things. We're going to make more stuff. We're going to sell it to more people. And we sell it more places. So that is like as simple as a company can get. We're making new stuff for, for new people and we're gonna sell it in new places. So the fastest growing lines of our business are the new product categories, right? Because yep. you know, yep. re- last year was the first year we had rings, it did eight figures. So that's pretty fast insane, growing. It's right. Insane. The second biggest product line for us is or the product expansion for us is uh is is actually going into wholesale. And I talk a lot of shit about going into wholesale, but yeah. <laughs> we just got an eight-figure PO from Best Buy. Like Dang, uh, dude. Yeah. So like wholesale is growing hundreds of percent year over year for us. So that is like a, a big unlock for us. So if you're ready, if you can bite off and, and deal with payment terms and chargebacks and get displays, like wholesale is, there's a lot of value to be unlocked there. The third one's international. Like, you know, the UK is in a recession, so it's a harder market, but uh, like Australia is an underserved e-commerce market. There's 27 million people, basically a California just sitting down there and they love to buy stuff online. It's a big ass country, but it has pretty good infrastructure. So international has been a big unlock for us. So that's like where, where we're currently winning. Nice. And so, so wholesale that, how recently has that become a focus for you guys? Cause you're, you're playing well into that nine figure space as a brand. Like when did you start really considering a wholesale? Yeah, it depends on category. It got in earlier, but we got into wholesale in 2019 with Nordstrom's. That was like our first big one, and then Shields. But it's always been single percentage points of our business, like two percentage points of our business. Uh, it really didn't start to be more than that until 2023. So our wholesale engine took like four or five years to really turn on. So in 2023, it was probably seven percent of our business was in was in wholesale, and I think this year it'll be ten, something like that. So that, that is that is nice. I mean, that, that's that's material, right? And that that also when you when you've got the wholesale component, that does allow some of the marketing efforts that they multiply, right? At least at least to a certain degree, because there there's a group of people that still really want to touch, hold, feel a product before they buy it. Uh, and you know, we talk we talk a little bit about the e-commerce penetration numbers, right? And I believe believe the latest stat is like it's like 15, 15.6 percent, something like that, of total retail is e-com, right? So that leaves 85 percent. I know, and there's different ways to dissect the numbers. Are you including auto and gas and some of those things or, or restaurants or not. So different ways to, to measure it. But is that is that the number you kind of work with as well? About 15% is e-com? Yeah, I think I think this year it's 16 and a half. But it, like like you said, do you, do you include cars or not? That's the big one, yeah, right? Yeah. Like auto is a huge part of it. But what I'll say is wholesale is mostly demand capture. 
right? Yeah. Like you build all this awareness on these great platforms, right. these big megaphones that are YouTube and Facebook and everything else. And then Christmas Eve, uh, we did, you know, seven figures in Best Buy because people are walking in looking for gifts. <laughs> and it's, it's insane, like, it's insane. it is, they see the Facebook ad, they know it's in Best Buy, they walk in to capture it. So it's, it's demand capture, but it's demand capture you can't get anywhere else, right? right. Like I'm not going to have stores, I'm not going to have 600 stores like Best Buy is. Yeah, super, super cool. Love it, man. So then as you look at, you know, you're doing all these things, right? And I know on the recently on the on the operators pod, they talked about inventory management. You guys talked merchandising, just all like all the big things, right? That you gotta that you gotta manage to make sure you're you're growing profitably. But how do you approach this? So you're you're launching new products and new categories, you're launching in new places like wholesale and some of these other things. You're you're actively investing in new customer acquisition through all the meaningful channels. How do you do that? and protect EBITDA at the same time? Well, we're very lucky. So our brands listening should try to be lucky, I guess. Uh, (laughs) If you can do anything, be lucky. Yeah, yeah. So we have never raised money. So there's no investors telling me to do anything. There's no debt on the business. So there's no, I I don't have any loan payments or anything I got to pay back. And everyone who is on the cap table at Ridge was super fucking broke at some point. So a father-son best friend who started it, uh, he was a special ed teacher for like 35 years. So th- awesome. th- we talk about people who had no money. <laughs> you yeah, know what I yeah, mean? Dude. Me and Connor, when we started our agency business, I didn't own a car. So we would take Connor's 1997 Honda Civic with no paint. The paint was, <laughs> was chipping off. And we would drive that to client meetings, try to, try to sell them. We lived in a one-bedroom apartment. So, Dude, that's a quick funny story. When I, first, when I started my first agency, I had a 2002 Honda Civic. And um, yeah, I would, I would like go into meetings and I would park a few blocks away, right? Because yeah. I wanted to not be seen in that thing. And what's also funny is like that, hit a, a certain age where I started like getting pulled over more where I was like look it looked suspect <laughs> like dude's driving that he's probably up to no good right I, I, I was you know fine but it, anyway it's just interesting yeah humble beginnings for sure yeah so why does that matter us being broke uh well because we can have a business that pays everybody decent salaries and distributions every once in a while and nobody's breathing down anybody's neck being like I need a Lamborghini I need this I need this right it's awesome a lot of people who have a business, and this is my that gives problem. you optionality, right? Like you've got options now, and you don't have to pay for the Lambo or for your your twelfth house or something like that. Yeah, and this is one of my biggest problems with ecom operators is that they have a ten million dollar business, so they think they're worth ten million bucks, and it's like, dude, you. you a $10 million business means you probably can make a salary of $500,000 a year. And it's like, people hate hearing that. Like you're better off working as a Facebook project manager. You'll make more money than owning your $10 million econ business. So obviously there's enterprise value, but you're not fucking tapping into that, dude. It could all go away tomorrow. So it's just, there's a huge disconnect in perceived net worth and, and income of e-com operators and they're, what's actually feasible living in the moment. Uh, so anyway, just throwing that out there. It's like, guys, it is, it is really fucking hard to run these businesses. But yeah, so we bought a factory in Arizona this year. We bought uh, two JVs for like Chinese suppliers to get stuff like made better, cheaper, faster, whatever. So like we're investing all this money in this business. So we can actually improve it over time. And that's how we can do stuff like launch all these new product categories, right? Yeah. 
And so I want, I want to actually double click on something really quick because this is important. You said be lucky. Like if you can do anything, be lucky. But there, there's actually this, this concept that I heard from Jim Collins, which I love. Uh, as, they, as they studied great companies and then comparison companies that, that weren't as great, but they had a lot of similarities. They found that like there wasn't a difference in luck. One didn't have like the successful companies didn't have more good luck and less bad luck. And the meh companies didn't have more bad luck and less good luck. There was a difference in return on luck, right? And so this is where you're setting your yourself up to succeed, to ride the wave and capture opportunities, but you're also setting yourself up that if stuff gets bad, you're okay and you can weather the storm, right? You don't have a sixth house mortgage to pay for and that sort of thing. And so I think that's really what you guys have done is like you're you're set up to get a great return on luck. You know, so hopefully this, and I, and I would agree with you, I think this year is going to be a little more consistent, a little more normal in terms of growth. You're ready for that. Like if things get bad though, you're probably ready for that too, right? So you get this return on luck. Yeah, you know, there was a two month period. Nobody ever wants to fucking talk about this. In March of 2020, when the world felt like it was going to implode. It did, and it did. I remember being, I was living in Santa Monica or Venice at the time, going to the Ralphs and just seeing people buy everything off the shelves, except for medicine. I remember being like, I'm in the medicine aisle. I'm like, I think people are getting sick. Shouldn't we buy like halls or something? But like- yeah. They were buying bread, whatever, right? Nobody was thinking I should go on Amazon and type in Ridge Wallet and buy a Ridge Wallet right now. It's no like, doubt. so we we watched sales fucking fall off a cliff. Obviously, everything recovered and we're sitting here today and it's awesome. But the first thing we did was every owner made zero money. Like we just took our salaries to zero. Right, like, right. We got a business to support. You had the option um, to do that. Yeah, yeah. And, and nobody nobody DM'd me like, hey, dude, I got a, I got a gambling debt. I got to pay off or something. It, it just <laughs> it did not work yeah. like that. It just, yeah, it helps a, a lot of people in our business uh, at the ownership or executive level are some of the cheapest people I've ever met in my entire life. Like, that's, so, that's so awesome. We, we had a big ridge retreat uh, in Vegas last year. And that's when we fly everybody in. And two of the guys who are on the, the cap table just assumed that they would be sharing a bedroom. Like just sharing a hotel room. We'll bunk together. Yeah. We'll take the room with bunk beds. Yeah, we we gave them separate keys. They're like, no, but the room has two beds. We could we could be saving a hundred bucks right now. So that that that's really helped. That's part of our DNA. I I love that mindset. And really once you have it, it never fully goes away. And I remember, you know, Moise Ali from Native, good friend of mine. We we kinda we helped uh, Native in the early days and, and still do. But he talked about how even when they were growing like crazy and you know, making millions a month and stuff, he was still looking at the PL and he's like, Hey, why are we paying seven dollars for a month for this for this tool and stuff he wasn't spending all his time doing that but he was looking at it right just like we can cut that seven dollars out right and i think part of that is yeah you 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 saved seven bucks that's great or you saved a hundred bucks on a hotel room that's great but i think the bigger thing is the mindset right we're not just going to waste money because we can uh we're going to we're going to preserve it so i love that that's awesome so so you guys you guys uh built a you said built a warehouse or you bought you you built a factory i bought a factory in arizona nice nice and that what has that done has that helped lower cost and speed up production like what what is that what is that meant for the business well it's still it's still in production so i'll let you know in like 35 or 40 days when we've actually fucking finished the thing but uh the goal is to make wallets here um it adds consistency to the supply chain helps us start buying like uh like already China is essentially just an assembly factory. Like we're getting carbon fiber from Japan. We're getting titanium from who knows, right? Like it's already all these raw parts. So we're mostly 
looking at changing the supply chain to be final assembly in America. We can start sourcing the parts from whoever makes the best. Like whoever makes the best steel, we'll buy that. Whoever makes the best screws, we'll buy that, right? So it just, it builds redundancy in the supply chain, builds resiliency in the supply chain. Uh, and it's not that much more expensive. Like labor in China is getting getting pretty expensive. A lot of it's robots fuck it anyway. So for the same price, I can make stuff here. Might as well do it. So that's what we're doing. It's amazing. It's amazing. So really want to hear, and, and so we're, we're coming up against time just a little bit, but you know, you guys have, have successfully moved into rings. You had an eight-figure launch there. You successfully moved into luggage. That's not that common, right? I talked to other brands that they have successful launches, but there's usually some misses in there, right? They launch a product and it's like that fell flat on its face. Thought everybody wanted it. Turns out no, none of our customers did. Or we launched a product and it just wasn't good. Like our, our core product is great. Everybody loves it. New product. It's getting bad reviews. What what do you think the key is as you're launching new products and as you're innovating? How do you how do you create products that both delight customers? So there's some some customer satisfaction there and they sell well and, and they just work to grow the business. Yeah. What I'll say is it's not like we fucking only hit home runs like <laughs> people people are always, like people are always shocked when they hear about a product expansion people are like rings that doesn't make any sense for your business i have suggested every single product category to our product and occasionally i get one past the goalie so like <laughs> i i mean i was like yeah we need to do beef jerky that's uh, i literally have a deck right now where i'm like yeah we got to sell beef jerky it's consumable that's what we got to do so i've suggested every single product category occasionally we make stuff that sucks we launch watches and we make a great watch. Nobody wants watches. That is the reality. It's, it's a tough, horrible it's a tough category. It's a very it's tough a category. horrible category to be in. Uh, so we didn't sell very many watches. I think I think we ordered ten thousand. I sold the story. I'm maybe on the operators podcast, but I think we ordered ten thousand. I'm like, we're going to sell out day one. No, it took us like a year and a half to sell out of those ten thousand. <laughs> then we launched a second version, and it's it's way more just like uh, like a gift for our customers. There's more value in that watch than any watch you're going to buy in the market. But it's a category that sucks. But I'm like, okay, cool. Take my lumps, move on. Like I did the same thing with deodorant. We did the same thing with t-shirts. We did the same thing with socks. We did razors. It's like you keep launching stuff until you find something that works. And then you go back and tell the story that like, no, it actually was a success the whole time. And I point to Bic as the best example. I brought this up in last week's episode, but Bic makes the number one pen in the world, the number one razor in the world, and the number one lighter in the world. Those I'm things saying. have nothing in common together. Now they have tattoo products. It's, these things have nothing in common with each other except for they're made out of plastic. So what happened right, was right. a guy had a plastic factory in France and he's like, well, what else can I make? And he just made whatever the fuck he wanted until yeah. it worked. <laughs> and now we talk about how it's a great business. There's billions of dollars a year in revenue. So don't be precious with your product expansion. Try stuff. It's going to fail. Just make sure you buy in small enough quantities. It doesn't bankrupt you. And Rich is a big enough paycheck or you know has a big enough checkbook that I can do things like waste 300 grand on on watches and try 500 grand on luggage or whatever else I'm going to do. So yeah, it's a really gr really great example, Bic. I hadn't thought about that, but yeah, it's not like it's not like you buy the razor and then you're like, man, I really wish like I could just get a pin from this company too, or dang, I wish I had a matching lighter, not that they even match, but yeah, yeah. So just there, there's some some relationship in manufacturing, but not in anything else. And so I really love that. And also love that. And, I, and I've noticed this trend and I get to, you, you know, fortunate enough to hang out with lots of successful entrepreneurs and uh, just like good quarterbacks or great athletes, like you, you've got a short memory on the mistakes. Of course, you you take lessons from mistakes, but hey, we launched deodorant. It didn't work. Well, we better like, we better just take a little time away from launching products. Like we, we were not good at it, apparently. You know, let's sit and stew on this for a little while. Now you learn from it and you launch the next thing and you launch the next thing and you're going to, 
going to be able to double, triple, quadruple down on on the winners. And so, um, yeah, how, how do you kind of how do you how do you bake that that ethos into your company, or is it just kind of happening where you're like, hey, we're 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 going to try the the next thing, and we're going to be thinking ahead, and we're we're not going to fear you know a, a failure on the next thing we launch. Yeah, really great companies. This is something we all have in common: create space for failure, right? Yeah. And what this is like, like it typically falls in the executive or the co-founder or something like that. Like what I always say is like, the, I'm the CEO, so I have to be reckless. Like I'm the only person who can be a rebel. I'm the only person who can't get fired. So yes. like, I have to be pushing the boundaries of this business because I can't task a junior marketing person to do that. I can't task a junior product person to do that because they don't want to lose their job, right? Exactly. So they're going to play inside the lines, right? And it is your job to be pushing the company forward and trying new things and failing because you're the only person who can do that, right? Because I go back to the ownership team and I'm like, yep, I tried all the shit, didn't work, but I'm trying new stuff and I hope it works. And there's a high tolerance for me to do that because they trust me and they know that I'm not going to fuck anybody over or I'm doing things in the best interest of the business. But the first thing you do when a junior employee loses money is you're like, well, I got to fire them. <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah, it's not creating space for failure. And they know that. And so they're going to be risk averse. They're going to, it's just human nature. They're going to protect themselves. And so yeah, you've got to be the one taking the risk and being willing to make those mistakes and those losses. Really, really good, man. This has been fantastic. I could talk to you for another hour or two at least. Uh, but what else should we be watching for? I mean, I recommend everybody go to ridge.com, get on the email list. Go to Twitter slash X, follow Sean, um, which by the way, what, what is your Twitter handle? It's Sean Ecom. Sean Ecom. So check that out. But uh, what's what's coming down uh, the pike uh, for Ridge or what should we be watching for here in, in, in 2024? We have a really big announcement in the next like 30 days. So Sweet. I can't, I can't spoil tuned. it. I'm under, I'm under NDA, but it'll be the coolest thing we've ever done as the business. So that's, that's going to be... If you if you aren't following me on Twitter, in 30 days, you're going to get something really fucking cool coming across your timeline. So be on the lookout for that. That's awesome. And then, and then, yeah, what's like, what's next for the operators podcast? I just feel like you guys are, are, you're, you're in your groove. Like everybody's cranking. Uh, Sounds like that's just, just beginning to to take off and it's doing very well. Uh, Dude. I appreciate you saying that. I'm just trying to get 10 episodes in a row where everybody shows up on time, <laughs> audio works, and we have all four of us there. So yeah. <laughs> everybody's so busy, you know, running nine figure businesses and, and stuff. So I, I'm, I'm sure that is a nightmare uh, to try to get everybody there. So keep up the good work. I'm going to keep tuning in there as well. So Sean, thanks for your time, brother. Super fun as always. Thank you, Brett. Talk to you later. All right, man. And thank you for tuning in. We really appreciate it. Hey, let us know what you'd like to hear more of on the pod. And if you've not done it, we'd love to get that review on iTunes. Helps other people discover the show. And with that, until next time, thank you for listening.